And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock, our redeemer, and our rest. Amen. I want to invite you to take a moment this morning to be still and to listen. What do you hear? Maybe you still hear the music from this morning reverberating within these stone walls. Maybe you hear the air conditioner desperately fighting to keep up with the rising temperatures outside. We need you to make it one more year. (laughs) Maybe you hear the sounds of people around you or the creaking of these wooden pews. There are some sounds that are unique to this space, aren't there? And after leading worship in an empty sanctuary for so many weeks, I I hope I will never take for granted the sounds of this sacred space. I still remember when Carol Harston danced into my office one morning and said, Do you hear it? the sounds of people in the hallways. It was so exciting. There are sounds here, but that means that you and I need to do the work of listening because the sounds that are surrounding us within these stone walls beckon us to listen, to pay attention to one another, to Tune our hearts to the voice of God speaking to us in this space. Seth Horowitz is an auditory neuroscientist at Brown University. And he says that listening is a skill that our generation is in danger of losing. It's pretty scary if you think about it, isn't it? But he says, we are in danger of losing this skill in the midst of a world of digital distraction and information overload. We hear so many voices and dings and chirps and tweets and other distracting sounds, so much so that we can't hear anything else in the midst of all the noise. For instance, I wonder in our exercise just now, We got quiet for about 15 seconds, and yet I wonder how many of you couldn't hear much else because of all the voices in your head going on and on about your never-ending to-do list right now, or wondering what you're going to have for lunch today, or making out your grocery list for this afternoon. Maybe all you can hear right now is the stress and anxiety spiraling within you preventing you from hearing much else at all. I've been there. The reality is that listening, truly listening, 
is hard work. And it doesn't come as naturally to us as we might think. Some say it's because we haven't been taught how to listen. I mean, think about it. In school, from a very young age, we are taught skills for reading and for writing and for communication and speaking. But I would venture to guess that very few of us, except maybe our counselors, chaplains, and social workers, have had any formal training in how to do the work of listening. Another challenge we have is that you and I can think so much more quickly than someone else can speak. Most people can speak at a rate of about 125 words a minute. However, we have the mental capacity to understand someone speaking at 400 words a minute. And so this difference between our speaking speed and our thinking speed means that when we listen to the average speaker, we are only using about 25% of our brain capacity. So we have 75% of our brain capacity to do something else with at that moment. So naturally, our minds will start to wonder which is why some of your minds are already wandering away from me right now. (laughs) Another interesting thing is that studies show our listening skills actually diminish as we get older, which I thought was fascinating. In his book, Are You Listening?, Ralph Nichols conducted an experiment with students from first grade through high school. And in this experiment, someone would barge into a classroom, interrupting the class during the middle of a lesson, and they would immediately ask each of the students what the teacher had been talking about. The answers of first and second graders showed that more than 90% of them were listening, if you can believe that. In middle school classes, only 44% of the students were listening. In high school classes, the average dropped to 28%. And so I can only imagine what the rate is for the rest of us who are out of high school. I feel like I just lost my best listeners. They just left with Pastor Renee for the day. And if someone barged into worship today and immediately asked each of you, what's the sermon about today? I don't know if I would want to know the outcome of that experiment. You see, the reality is most of us just aren't very good at listening. And yet Henry Nouwen points out that learning to listen is one of the great movements of the spiritual life. From a life in which we experience ourselves as separated, isolated, and lonely, to a life in which we hear the guiding and healing voice of God who is with us and will never leave us alone. And yet, he adds, the many activities in which we are involved, the many concerns that occupy our time, the many sounds that surround us make it hard for us to hear that still, small voice through which God's presence and will are made known. We often hear about God's still, small voice. And this term actually originates in today's text in 1 Kings. So Elijah is on the run here in 1 Kings 19. 
Verse 3, a little earlier, says he is fleeing for his life from a death threat from Queen Jezebel. So he runs into the wilderness, and after some time, he comes to a cave at Mount Horeb where he spends the night. And first, we heard that there's this great wind so strong that it's splitting mountains. That doesn't seem to get his attention. Then there's an earthquake, but the Lord is not in the earthquake. Then there is a fire, but the Lord is not in the fire either. Instead, it's what happens next, that Elijah encounters the Holy One in a sound of sheer silence. Now, there are lots of variations of translations about this sound or lack thereof. Some call it a still, small voice or a gentle whisper. Others call it a low, murmuring sound or the sound of a gentle breeze. More recent opinions suggest that there was no voice, no sound at all, but an eerie silence filled with a sense of holiness. We're not used to that kind of silence when we are surrounded by so much noise. But whatever it was or was not, verse 13 says that when Elijah hears this, it gets his attention and it draws him out of the cave. And while the text doesn't elaborate on it, what I think we can draw from this is that after an earthquake and after fire and after great winds, it took silence to finally get Elijah's attention. I love this story from scripture because it reminds us that it's not always in the loud or giant mountaintop moments when God speaks to us. Now, it would be so much easier if God would just be loud and flashy all the time, would make things abundantly clear so that there were no questions or confusion. But more often than not, God speaks to us in the quieter moments in a word from a trusted friend, in a holy nudge or gut feeling. Sometimes it's in these soft and subtle moments where we can discern God's voice most clearly, which is why you and I are called to a lifetime of paying attention, of listening for that sometimes quiet Sometimes silent but sacred voice that calls us to keep taking that next brave step forward. In his listening lab at Princeton University, Yuri Hassan uses neuroscience to show us the power of listening, the effect it has on us. And so in his experiment, he uses a machine to record people's brain patterns as they are telling a story. He has them record a story. He says it can be as exciting as climbing a mountain or as mundane as what you had for breakfast this morning. So they make this recording, and then later another person comes in and listens to the recording of this story. And they record the second person's brain waves too. Hassan's team discovered that if and when the person really settles into listening, 
Their brain patterns actually begin to mimic the brain patterns of the original storyteller. In fact, as they go deeper into listening, their brain patterns actually begin to anticipate the patterns of the first speaker by nanoseconds. So there is actually science supporting this idea that we can literally get on the same wavelength when we truly take time to listen to one another. Now, of course, this has significant implications for us in the ways we need to listen to one another in our world today. In a world where we are so disconnected from one another, or we are hearing vastly different news cycles or opinions expressed on social media, perhaps it helps to explain why we are on such different wavelengths. But think also about the implications this study has for listening to God. Because it reminds us that to get on the same wavelength with the Spirit of God that ebbs and flows alongside of us, even in these very moments, we have to find times and ways to quiet ourselves, to filter out all those other noises, and to listen. Now, of course, this is also incredibly hard work because if we're not careful, all those other voices that are clamoring for our attention will become so loud that they will completely overwhelm us. They will become the last things we think about as we are always scrolling on our phones before we go to bed. And the first things we remember when we wake back up and pull for our phone once again. And before we even realize it, we will have lost the ability to discern the voice of God amidst all the other noises surrounding us. As my favorite preacher, Frederick Buechner, says, what deadens us most to God's presence within us is the inner dialogue that we are continuously engaged in with ourselves. The endless chatter of human thought I suspect that there is nothing more crucial to true spiritual growth than being able from time to time to stop the chatter. Friends, I believe that filtering out the other noises of the earthquakes and the fires and the splitting mountains filtering everything else out in order to listen with every fiber of our beings to that still, small voice is some of the most important spiritual work you and I could ever do. There's no way to skip or to find shortcuts around this hard and holy work, and no one else can do it for us. In my last semester of seminary, I took a social work class at Baylor called Loss and Mourning, and it became one of my all-time favorites because I would say that this is the class where I finally received some instruction on listening. In all honesty, one of my biggest fears about becoming a pastor was that I wouldn't know what to say in a difficult situation 
when someone desperately needed to hear a meaningful or hopeful word from me in a devastating situation, I wouldn't know what to say. And so in the back of my mind, I thought I needed this class to help me come up with a list of the perfect things to say or the best passages of scripture to read or the creative things to do that would help me to be the best minister I could be for someone in a difficult situation. So I enrolled in the class and I kept waiting for this magical how-to list to come together. But the class seemed more nuanced than that. But I so desperately wanted this list of all the right pastor things to say and to do before I graduated seminary. I felt like I was running out of time. So for my final project, I decided to interview people in my congregation who had all experienced some type of significant grief or loss in order to find out from them what meaningful or helpful ways they had received care or wished they had received care from others. Well, in actuality, what I discovered in this final project was to forget about that perfect list of things to say or do because it doesn't exist. Everyone is different, and there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all approach to ministry. But there was one commonality I found between every single person I interviewed. They desperately wanted someone to listen to them. They wanted someone to hear their story, to sit with them in their grief, even just to be quiet with them and not to say a single word at all. Not to pretend to understand exactly how they felt because no one could ever fully understand exactly how you feel. Not to say cliche phrases or to try to wrap up in a bow what was a devastating situation. What they really needed was someone to be fully present with them in that moment and to listen. Which is why I think that was one of the best classes I ever took in seminary. Friends, listening requires us to empty ourselves. To admit that we don't have all the answers, no one does. Listening asks us to consider other people as the experts of their own experiences. To be curious, to be humble. Listening challenges us to think more deeply, to ask better questions. Listening empowers us to love more deeply too. It's the rudder of our ship and I fully believe it is our only way home. As Mary Oliver reminds us, listen. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, 
but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but to grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the ocean's shine, the prayers that are made of grass. As Jesus said often, whoever has ears, let them hear. So may we be a people who listen, who listen for a deeper sound when all the other voices are clamoring for our attention, who hear that still, small voice, and who are brave enough to march at a different beat at whatever tempo God leads us. Amen.